100% born in the Appalachian Mountains and made in the USA, Timber Ninja Outdoors provides a range of mobile hunting options to accommodate diverse hunting preferences. Whether you prioritize comfort, lightweight design, or versatility, their two-panel and single-panel saddles collection has something for everyone. The Black Belt Nano is the lightest single-panel saddle available on the market, weighing in under a pound. The saddle is designed with the minimalist hunter in mind, focusing on lightweight functionality and breathability. One notable feature is the patent-pending magnetic stick clip system on the side, which allows for convenient transportation of sticks up the tree, as well as a built-in platform holder. The Nano Saddle can be folded up to the size of a Nalgene bottle, enabling easy portability. With a four-way stretch material on the back for a comfortable fit, as well as strategically placed padding for hip pinch relief. You can use code EASTMEETSWEST to get free shipping on any Timber Ninja order. If you try it out and don't like it, send it back within 30 days for a full refund. Learn more at TimberNinjaOutdoors.com and sign up for their email newsletter for exclusive discounts and product drops. When it comes to optics, I get the same question over and over again. What are the best all-around binoculars? Well, it's tough to find something that works in every condition great, but after using a pair of Maven B1.2 10x42s, I think I found them. They feature an 8x or a 10x option, superior low light performance, tack sharp edge-to-edge clarity, a generous depth of field, and a silky focus mechanism. All of Maven Optics have a lifetime no-fault warranty and hail from the great state of Wyoming. I've been using Maven Optics since I bought my first pair in 2017, and I think you should test them out for yourself. Head over to mavenbuilt.com and use the code EASTMEETSWEST-GIFT for a free gift with any full price optics order. For all of those that want a truck bed cover for work or play, Diamondback makes the top of the line heavy duty covers that help you do more with your truck. They're perfect for the truck owning, avid sportsmen, outdoor enthusiasts, and weekend project warriors. I'm currently using the HD cover that can is capable of holding up to 1,600 pounds on the top. And then I have the Yakima overhaul HD bars on top so I can put my rooftop tent on it. When I'm not using my rooftop tent and able to use the trifold design of the Diamondback, I have the Crossbin 8 in there to organize all of my stuff in the back of my truck bed. Diamondback is made right here in Phillipsburg, Pennsylvania. If you want to check them out, head over to diamondbackcovers.com. If you've wanted that hunting camp tradition that we talk about, that experience, but you don't have a hunting camp of your own, you're welcome to come stay at my hunting camp up here in the Pennsylvania wilds called the Elk Crossing Getaway in the PA wilds. So if you go over to Airbnb, you can check out our three-bedroom, one-and-a-half-bath house that's right in the heart of Pennsylvania elk country. It's only minutes away from a bunch of public land to be able to hunt, hiking trails, outdoor recreation, fishing, all of those things there. The house is completely fully stocked with everything that you need to be able to, to spend a week hunting deer, taking your family up to see the elk, anything like that. So if you head over to Airbnb and search Elk Cross and Getaway in the PA Wilds, you'll find my listing there and you can rent out my house to send us a message and inquiry that you're interested in it and mention that you heard it on the podcast here, then we'll get you 10% off of your first day. Are you an adventurer looking to take your hunt to the next level? Then you're in the right place. Welcome to East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. 
Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of the East Meets West Hunt podcast presented by Spartan Forge. On today's episode, I am joined by Maine resident and deer hunter, Jameson Grady. So Jameson is a listener of the podcast and has been submitting Mountain Buck Monday stories over the last three years of some giant Maine bucks by tracking in the snow, including a 172-inch mammoth buck this past November. So on today's episode, we discuss hunting in Maine, learning from signpost rubs, the story of his 2022 buck, how to read a track, where to start tracking, the speed in which you track, off-season scouting, and much more. On this week's Mountain Buck Monday Story of the Week, we have a story coming from last season from Jared Schaefer in West Virginia. So Jared wrote in, in late October 2021, I randomly got access to a 100-acre piece of property not far from my home in northern West Virginia. I made a quick scouting trip to an isolated saddle connecting the heavy cover to a mid-elevation bench and found some great sign. Fast forward to the first day of rifle season and I slowly slipped back to that spot for an afternoon sit. After getting set up, I noticed a super fresh scrape not 20 yards from me, a good sign. At 4.15, I spotted movement on the bench and spotted the biggest buck I've ever seen in West Virginia. He offered me a quick 60-yard shot, and I dropped him on the spot. He turned out to be my biggest buck ever at 153 inches, just a perfect 10-pointer with great character. It was a hunt that I'll never forget. So Jared has is just consistently successful with killing good deer in West Virginia and really any state that he goes to. Jared works for Tethered and uh, is just an absolute animal. I'd put bets on him anywhere he goes uh, to get it done. So congratulations, Jared, and thanks for submitting that story. If you want to see the photo of that buck, head over to East Meets West Hunt on Instagram, East Meets West Outdoors on Facebook, and you can check those out. So other than that, uh, we got deer season in full swing here in Pennsylvania. This week, I am out with the Seek One boys, Lee and Drew, and we're going to be doing some some deer hunting in the big woods, kind of showing these guys around and teaching them uh, the ways of the big woods and just doing a little bit of ground hunting and seeing if, um, if we can get a buck or two down in um, a three and a half day stint, basically. So I'm excited for those guys to come up. I really enjoy hanging out with them and, uh, yeah, excited to see how it goes, uh, with, with them here in the big woods. So other than that, uh, I hope everyone is having a good start to December here and I will talk to you next week. All right. We're live. Jameson Gray. Welcome to the podcast, man. Hey, thanks, Bo. Yeah. I'm, I'm excited, uh, excited to have you on You, you and I have talked, uh, back and forth on uh, the Instagram there for a few years now. You've been sending in some Mountain Buck Monday submissions, and and uh, there was a pattern to these. They were coming in every year, and they were big yep. deer and, and uh, some, some Big Woods main bucks, and I, I, was, uh, I was glad that you accepted uh, the invitation to be able to come on. Yeah, sure. Uh, happy to be on. Uh, glad I got the invite. Uh, my first podcast, so... Really? Breaking the, you're break, yeah, it was the first one I've ever done. Nice. So, uh, yep. Yeah, my name's uh, Jameson Grady. Uh, born and raised in the mid-coast area of Maine, which is the southern half of the state. And, uh, yeah, I got a wife. I got two little kids. 
I'm a logger by profession. Uh, what else? Let's see. Uh, brain freeze here. <laughs> well, you, you're but, be, uh, you know being a logger, you're you're uh, you're known where some of the good spots are right off the bat. <laughs> yeah, it definitely helps. We usually cut. Uh, we're more of the cut down state, which is the it's mostly small, smaller parcels of land. Like here, usually like a big parcel of land down here is only 100, 200 acres. Okay. So we don't usually cut too much up in the big woods. It's about the big woods from my house is about a two hour drive. Okay. But we do. We just bought a, some land up there and built a little cabin. So I've been venturing up there to deer hunt more the last five or six years. Nice. Is that is that kind of yeah. like the is that kind of the tradition for you? Like growing up, did you hunt the big woods, or what was kind of like your your hunting background? No, no. Growing up, uh, probably the first 20 years of my deer hunting, I just hunted right around the town I grew up in and uh, did that for a long time. Uh, I started hunting when I was 10. The legal age to deer hunt in Maine is 10. And uh, I shot my first deer. It was a doe when I was 11 years old. I was uh, still hunting solo, which wasn't quite legal back then, but my dad... (laughs) My father used to just set me free in the woods and uh, I'd kind of bounce around and I was always kind of the guy that was still hunting and trying to stock up on deer. And so opening day when I was 11, I still hunted up, saw a nice doe and got her. And then when I was uh, 12, or might have been 13, I can't really remember. I uh, opened the day again, got my first buck. I was still hunting again solo. Uh, saw a nice little five-pointer with a doe and uh got him and then for years i just kept hunting around home and we kind of had like a my family's all big into deer hunting so mm-hmm. we would all hunt around the house we had set stands and but i've never been the guy that likes to sit like i've always been a roamer bounce around the woods still hunt rarely we rarely would get snow here and uh, so I never really got into tracking until I'll be six or seven years ago. I started the tracking game, and uh, now it's that's all I want to do. It's just the way to go, I think. Yeah, <laughs> for me. Yeah. yeah, and that's and that's um. So you're saying like in the the more the northern Maine woods is where you get the snow that you can that yeah. you can do the tracking. Yeah, down around my house. We probably only get snow once or twice a year, and it's usually like Thanksgiving week, or we have a muzzleloader season after our uh, rifle season ends. And usually those two weeks, first weeks of December, you get a good chance to get snow. But we don't get a lot of snow down here. But you start going up north, two hours north of here, and then even up above that. I mean, the whole month of November, there's a pretty good chance you'll get some tracking snow to work with so yeah yeah i started doing that um i was just gonna ask but before you get into that what how does like how does maine's hunting season run like if you were to go from the beginning of deer season is it start out with an archery season or how how does that how does that work yep october 1st our archery season starts and then that runs the entire month of october and then usually right around the last saturday in october we have our residence day and that's when our rifle season starts and then our rifle season is four weeks long it runs till the saturday after thanksgiving and then 
that ends. And then we have a two-week muzzleloader season in the southern zones. And the northern zone only has a one-week muzzleloader season. Because the deer start yarding up and then up north once you get into December. Usually the snow starts to pile up and all the deer start to head to like their yarding areas and into towns where they spend the winter. So they shut it off so the deer don't get hammered too bad when they get on those migration trails and stuff. You you know, it's funny. I, I had not heard of that until I talked to a guy last year that was from the Adirondacks and was talking about mm-hmm. how they go on these migration trails and they, they start yep. yarding up. I mean, we don't get those, that kind of level of snow where we're at, where they just, you know, where they have to migrate. They, they might move to different areas, but not, not at the levels that it sounds like that, that you guys deal with. Yeah. I mean, it used to be, there used to be a ton of deer yards up north, but with all, our entire northern half of our state is pretty much owned by uh, uh, like paper companies and large landowners that have, uh, you know, a vested interest in the timber. So they started cutting a lot of the deer yards. So the deer kind of lost their normal wintering area. So they started venturing into towns because people started feeding them because everyone loves the deer in northern Maine, you know. Yeah. We don't have a lot of them, so <laughs> we're trying to keep what we, they have up there. So all the deer, they'll go for, they'll come for 20 miles, they'll come down out of the mountains, they'll come down into the towns, and a lot of them will spend the winters there. I mean, a lot of the big bucks, they'll spend their winters out on a mountaintop by themselves, but that's just most of the most of the does and young deer, they, they travel to some sort of yard or town or something like that. I was going to ask that if the, if the, the big old mature bucks, if they still like went along those patterns or if they just kind of lived up yeah, on their some, own. Some of them will go to town, but a lot of times those big bucks, they like to be by themselves. You know, they're just kind of loners and they'll stay out. They'll stay out by themselves, but. Ah, interesting. Yeah. No, yeah. that's, that's super cool. But how did you get into, uh, I guess the, the tracking aspect and wanting to kind of get into the, the big wood style of hunting? Yeah. Well, yeah, like I said, about five or six or seven years ago, I, uh, I always thought it'd be a really cool way to hunt and I really wanted to try it. And I'll tell, I'll tell everyone right now that if you're really interested in tracking and big woods hunting, pretty much one of the best things you can do is get Hal Blood's book, Big Woods Buck, Hunting Big Woods Bucks Volumes 1 and 2. I mean, a lot of us consider it like the tracking bible when it comes to hunting deer i mean i read those books and that got me started and then i started going up there and doing it on my own and i just fell in love with it i was like this is this is so much fun you know you get to see just my favorite thing about big woods hunting is i love seeing a new piece of woods for the first time and you really never know you can start out a day and you really never know what you're going to see you never know where you're going to go it's just, it's a blast, really. Yeah. So. No, that's that's super cool. I mean, I um, I'm actually gonna get those books and read them this winter. Uh, we don't we don't get a ton of time as far as being able to, to track um in at least where I'm at in Pennsylvania, but there are some years during our gun season, and then especially during our late flintlock uh muzzleloader and late archery season but when you can carry a flintlock and after christmas into january when you can definitely 
track and one of my my good buddies johnny stewart does that a lot and it's Mm -hmm. it's like it's my grandpa used to do it when we used to get a lot more snow during gun season he was big on tracking and has taught me a lot about it i just haven't done it a ton myself but it's super interesting to me and i've had hal on here before uh getting to talk to him and and it's just i like the aspect too of just like you said getting to see different country and just Mm -hmm. I, that's why I, I like scouting more than I like hunting because I like walking around where this yeah. is like you, you can kind of combine the both of them. Yeah. I mean, that's pretty much what we do early season up in the big woods when there's no snow. We just still hunt around. Like I've gotten to the point now where I, I never sit in a tree stand. I never sit at all, really. The most I'll sit is like maybe an hour in a spot if I think it looks good. But if it's bare, if it's bare ground, there's no snow. I'm just covering ground and I'm looking for sign. I'm trying to find that next big buck. So when it does snow, I can go in that area and try to cut his track and then track him down. I mean, if I run into him when I'm bare ground, I'm going to kill him. But yeah, you know, <laughs> that's just how I love scouting it. Yeah, scouting so much fun. I've gotten to the point where spring scouting, I love that now. And tree season during archery season, I don't archery hunt. All I do is gun hunt which really the main reason why is we only get one buck tag here in Maine. Mm-hmm. And I've always been a homebody. I've never hunted out of state. I've only hunted Maine my entire life. So that one buck tag is so precious. And November is just tradition to me. And so I wait till gun season. So no October, I just scout around and bird hunt and bear hunt. And yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you, um, when you, when you scout, what, like, what are you looking for as far as to be able to help you when you're tracking? Like, what are you looking for when you're scouting? Uh, some of the biggest thing I'm looking for, I'm looking for scrapes. If they're around, usually they don't, usually they don't pop up till late October. And, uh, one of the biggest ones up here, which Hal writes about in his book, it's the signpost rubs. They're, man, they are the key to finding those big bucks. They just, if you never, have you heard much about signpost rubs? Yeah. So actually we have, um, I mean, we have signpost rubs that, that I'll find in some of the areas they are very few and far in between, but I started running cameras on them probably about yep. five years ago and I've learned so much. And actually after talking to Hal, that's when I really started putting them on and just understanding how they use them. And what I learned was like, these bucks, they might not hit that rub. You know, they might only work that actual rub maybe once a year. You know, maybe only one buck will touch it. But all the bucks like to come through that area. It's like it's almost like a community scrape aspect. We look exactly, them up and they'll yeah. sniff it and they'll move along. And I have there's, I mean, I probably have close to a dozen marked in my maps right now that mm-hmm. that I I know where they're at and I I pay attention to that because it even at all points of the year, they'll, they'll come by those, that rub and it's just kind of a, a, a travel area. What, what have you noticed with them as far as where you're at? Yeah. A lot of the same things. Uh, yeah. Usually about late October, first week or two of November, that's usually when they hit them and uh, they'll come in, give them a good shine. And I actually have a really nice video on my Instagram of a big buck in an area I found last year found a nice signpost actually there was three signposts all together in this little swaley spot and uh yeah i got a nice eight point buck comes down shines up the signpost keeps going and yeah, then i had him i had him there on cam he'd come through like once a week early season 
just come through that area, you know, like scent check it. There's some does in there. So obviously, you know, he was checking for them. But uh, yeah, I'm interested to get back up, check that camera again. But yeah, we love running the cams on the signpost. But like I said, usually, usually it's early November, late October. And if I was going to sit a signpost first week in November, if I was going to sit, I don't know yeah. what to sit her, but if you were going to sit first week in November on a signpost, good spot. Yeah, yeah, no, that's 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 cool, and 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 you got to run the cameras on video mode on signpost oh. because yeah, I yeah. I got so there was this buck actually I was telling you before we were uh, recording a uh, buck that I've hunted for the last three years that just got killed during gun season, but he would his the signpost rub that he would visit. It, every time I would go there and I would freshen up the rub by spraying forehead gland scent on the rub. And within 24 hours of me being there, every single time he would show back up. It wouldn't be, you know, one time it was an hour after I left in daylight, other times in the middle of the night, but he'd come through and he would just get mad and just shred oh, yeah. that tree, just, you know, just running up and down it. And I'm like, it was just so cool to, to see that and how they use that, uh, territorially really. It's, it, it was pretty neat. Yeah. I don't want to have blood's theories on the sign folks is that it's kind of like a, it's kind of like where one buck's territory overlaps another buck's territory. So they'll have this little spot where they can kind of keep tabs and they, it's kind of like, Oh, this is my side. This is your side. Or, you know, they kind of just share it, but it's kind of, it's cool. Yeah. No, yeah. that is interesting. And, and do you, do you use cameras a lot? I run a few. I run like 10 cameras, mostly all up in the big woods and yeah, not really for hunting. Just, I just love to see you know, what might be out there. And yeah, but my cameras this year kind of led me to this. Well, we'll get into the big buck. That yeah, I got this no, year, just, but just, he kind of just roll in. Yeah. You know, he kind of led me to this spot because I've been running the cameras. Like I said, I found this spot up near where our camp is uh, last year, found the signpost. So this summer, about August, I went in, put a, put a cam on that signpost. And then I found another heavy used trail with a scrape. That I put another camera on and I went back and checked them late October. And I had a really nice eight and a really nice 10 pointer. Both of them were nice bucks, shoot, shooter bucks for me. And uh, they were uh, both what I considered over 200 pounds, which is the, I know a lot of states you guys don't even weigh your deer, but up here in Maine, that's like the everyone, that's the first thing they ask you. No one even cares what the antlers are like. They're like, yeah. what did it weigh? What did it weigh? <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I had these two really nice bucks in there. So uh, once I saw snow in the forecast for the third week of our gun season, and uh, I was like, I got to go in and try to track one of these bucks. They're in there, and they've been in there. One of them been in there once a week, pretty much the entire season. And the other one I only had like one or two pictures of, but I knew he was in the area because I had pictures of him from the previous year also during the rut. So he was around. I just wasn't picking him up on cameras. So I made plans to go up there. I saw snow in the forecast. And I went up on a, left early, early on a Wednesday morning. It was, uh, it just started to snow that morning. But I wanted snow, there was snow coming. It was the first of the year. I had to be in there. Usually on a snowstorm day, it's really hard to get a deer, find a deer track. Because they kind of hunker down when it snows. But I was like, I have to do it anyway. I don't care. I'll. So I busted around all morning that morning during the snowstorm. 
uh, ran into a small bull, bull moose, but that was about it on that area where I had the two bucks. So I left there and went to another spot and just kind of scouted around and tried to, tried to kick something up. That's really all you can do when it's snowing and you're just trying to run into something and get it on its feet. So I did that all day and never really found much. So I went back to camp and spent the night at our camp that night. And uh, the next morning I was going to get up. I like to get up probably two or three hours before daylight and just, uh, cause up here, all our, we have so many dirt roads on the paper company lands and you can just travel around all these pieces of woods and just check for tracks. So instead of, instead of waiting until daylight, you just drive around and hope to cut a big buck track from the truck because it saves you a lot of footwork if you can find a buck track from the road mm-hmm. at first light. So I got in my truck and I started driving all the dirt roads around camp and uh, I was seeing tons of small tracks, which which is kind of abnormal for up there. Like, So it's not a lot of deer, but this year it seems to be good. We've had two really easy winters the last two years. So our deer population up a little bit from what it usually is. So I was seeing tons of small tracks does skippers young bucks but i wasn't finding that big track i'm like damn i'm like where are these bucks you know i was like it was it's the middle of november the ruts cranking like they gotta be here somewhere so i kept driving and driving i'd been in the truck probably two hours and probably it was quite a ways from that spot where i had those bucks but i don't know probably five miles beyond that area I caught this really nice buck track coming into the road. I'm like, oh, this looks pretty good. Biggest track I'd seen all morning. I'm like, this is a good buck. He didn't have the biggest foot on him, but I figured he was a 200-pound buck. So well, he came into the road, and then he started traveling straight down the road. So I'm like, all right, well, I guess we're going to just track you in the truck for a minute. <laughs> and he went, he went about a mile right down the dirt road. I'm like, all right, he's covering ground. Like he's taking the path of least resistance here. So I'm like, yeah, he's out looking for those. So I followed him a mile and finally he cut into the woods. And I parked my truck right there and it was still probably 15 minutes before legal shooting. So I just sat out, hung out in the truck and drank some water and got ready because you never know what kind of day you're in for. Sometimes Sometimes it can be a 10 to 15 mile day. So you've got to get hydrated and get ready. And uh, so I parked right there and got out when it got daylight and I started tracking him. And the first mile he made eight scrapes. And so I'm like, okay, he was just, he was just keeping a line nice and straight heading somewhere, but he made, he kept stopping to make a scrape. And I'm like, Oh, it's good. Cause whenever they do some, something like that, you're gaining time on them when you're tracking them. So he did that for the first mile and then all of a sudden he made an abrupt turn and whenever they make an abrupt turn, something, usually they, usually they smell something or they're going to bed down. If they've held a straight line for a long time and they make an abrupt, like 90 degree turn, you know, they found something. So I slowed down a little bit and tracked it followed his tracks and he went straight down back towards the road. He was kind of parallel on the road. He went straight down and ran straight into a doe and a fawn. I could see where the doe and the fawn were bedded and he kind of got them up out of their beds. And he did like one little circle, chased them around. 
And that doe must not have been in heat because he immediately left the doe and went straight back to the road that I started him on. And he ran right back down the road for another half a mile. <laughs> so this, this guy, this guy was cruising. And I was like, wow. And really, I should have just continued down that road in my vehicle to make sure he hadn't crossed back across. But I was so anxious to get on the track that I just started him there. But anyway, yeah. So we went another half a mile straight down this road. And the road came to a T. And he went straight across. And across that T, it went down. It was a big brook. And a bunch of like a softwood, steep softwood ridge. Mm -hmm. And down in there, there was like two or three does. And he just chased, you could see in the snow where he just chased them all around. And I was kind of expecting to catch him right there because it was, he just looked like one of those spots where deer will love to bed on those side hills in the softwood in some cover, especially when it's snowing or the snow on the trees. They'll just kind of bed on those hills. And, uh, but they weren't there. He'd chase them around and, have you ever wanted to have Levi Morgan, Andy May, Johnny Stewart, and others available at all times? Well, you can with CyberScout from Spartan Forge. CyberScout is like the chat GPT for outdoors men and women. You can ask it any questions related to bow building, scouting, hunting, survival, and a whole lot more. I think you'll be impressed with how it responds. CyberScout is currently out now for a select group of early beta testers and will be available to the rest of you really soon. The entire app is a complete tool for planning your hunt with incredible aerial imagery mapping, journaling, deer prediction, and some of the most accurate and detailed weather data. Use the code EASTMEETSWEST to save 20%, and if you're still on the fence, give the 14-day free trial a chance at SpartanForge.ai. CVA has been America's number one selling muzzleloader brand for over a decade. Hunting with a muzzleloader opens up a ton of hunting opportunities across the U.S., and I've been using the Acura series, but they don't only make badass muzzleloaders. Their line of centerfire rifles are great quality and not terrible on the wallet. The Cascade short barrel is ideal for tight quarters, deer drives, and quick shots in the big woods. You can check out their line of muzzleloaders, rifles, and accessories for every season and every range at bpioutdoors.com slash CVA. If you use the code EASTMEETSWEST10, you'll get 10% off of all CVA products, which includes rifles, muzzleloaders, and accessories. I could see where he went down. He crossed the brook. He went up on the bank and he stopped and he looked like he just stood there and smelt the air for a minute and he just didn't find what he looked. I don't know if he thought he chased a, a doe ran across there or what, but he doubled back, went straight back across the brook and went up back up the ridge towards the road that he crossed. And uh, there was like three or four sets of tracks that ran back across that road. And they went up on this higher, higher ridge up above the, the river. and. Uh, I got up in there and there was just deer tracks going every um, which way you could imagine. He kept double backing on himself. I was trying to track him. I was getting so frustrated because it was just amazing tracks. And when it gets like that, there's one of two options, really. I mean, you can either start just still hunting because if you think they're right there, because you, if you're just staring at tracks all the time, you're going to, you're going to miss the deer. You're going to jump them up and they're going to be gone. So you almost have to just start. If you believe they're right there, which I did, you almost just have to start still hunting. 
The other option is if you don't think they're there, you can circle around all those tracks and try to find where they come out the other side. So I started still hunting and uh, I hadn't gone more than, I'll say, I'll tell you before, this was about 9.30. I'd been, this was three miles on the track we'd gone so far. But this was about 9, 9.30. So I started still hunting and uh, I hadn't gone more than 200 yards. And I look up through the woods and I just see a deer's body silhouetted on that, on the snow. And I'm like, Oh, right there, the deer. And, uh, so I, I carry, what I use tracking is, uh, it's a Marlin 1895 lever action with a beep sight. Nice. So yeah, but I carry a little set of binoculars in my pocket, just a little small set. I got 10 by 26 or whatever they are. And, uh, I pulled them out. And I looked at it and I moved ahead and I'm like, Oh, that's a doe. Okay. All right. I'm like, I know there's got to be a buck right here. He's been chasing these doe all morning. He's got to be right here. So I know more than I was like, I can take a few more steps and try to improve my angle and vision on these deer. Cause it was pretty quiet. You could get around pretty good. So I took two or three more steps and I looked up and just right behind her, that big buck just came into the picture. And with just with my eyes, all I could see was a big main beam coming out. And I'm like, oh, couldn't tell. I knew he was a big buck, but I didn't realize exactly how big he was. Judging by his track, I thought he was around 200 pounds. But you never know what that rack's going to be when you're tracking them. Yeah. You're trying to find the, You're just trying to find the biggest track you can. And uh, so I came up with my rifle and he was walking behind the doe. And when he, came behind behind these trees and I got a good shot. I fired and I hit him a little high. It broke his back and dropped him right there. And I, I took off running as fast as I could to get up there. And uh, he was up on his front legs, but one more, I gave him one more shot and that was the end of it. And then I walked up on him and I was like, Holy moly. What did I just do? Cause <laughs> yeah. Yeah, explain was, uh, explain explain how big that deer was, like what he looked like, and I'll I'll share oh, some have, pictures with the podcast. I have him right here. I have him right here. Yeah, let's let's see it on the video. Yeah. So he's a he's a twelve pointer. He's a mainframe. He's like a ten pointer, but he's got stickers. Oh my gosh! So this is yeah, that's him right there. Oh my <laughs> gosh! There's he has no brow tines. No, he has no brow tines. And he only has a 16 inch inside spread, but his mass and time length is just crazy. We gross scored him. I had a friend who's a taxidermist and uh, he gross green scored him at 172 and change. But yeah, he's got just about like six inch mass all the way from his bases out to his G4s here. Yeah, it looks yeah. like a just it's like a I don't like a sword the whole way out. Like I don't even know how yeah. else to yeah, explain he's got this, it. The big bladed G2. Yeah. Just just gnarly deer. Oh my gosh, that deer is beautiful. Yeah, and he yeah. yeah, he's just he's got mass the whole way through. He's got oh. character to him. Yeah, just no brows. He's got one little brow. <laughs> I've <laughs> never seen brow, that. Yeah. If he had brows and uh little bit nicer spread, he'd be Boone and Crockett for sure. 
Oh my but gosh. I'm not gonna not gonna complain too much. <laughs> no, that that is yeah. just I, I yeah, this point's almost like when you have him sitting back there, like his main beams almost come together. Yeah, they almost touch. There's yeah. only like I don't know, five inches, six inches between the main beams. But yeah. I was just I couldn't believe it really when I told him. He had ha- half his rack was shoved under the snow, and I it almost looked like he was broke off. And I'm like, oh no! But <laughs> I, I pulled him out of the snow, and I was just like, because I've been on a three year streak. Really, I got this guy up here in 2020. I call him Pretty Boy. I actually shot him right near my where I live. Uh, my brother runs quite a few cameras, and he got him in on camera. Uh, pretty steady that year and uh yeah i found a spot where there was a actually found a signpost i've been hunting this area for years and i found this signpost that i didn't even know was there and uh i was going to go in and set a camera one day it was early november actually it was veterans day in 2020 so i went in there and set a can i was going to set a camera on that it was like 65 70 degrees i don't know if you remember 2020 yeah, the first I, couple I remem- weeks it was so I hot i remember that week yeah it was, it was terrible so, hot. <laughs> so i yeah kind of like this year the first two weeks but uh yeah i went in there and put a camera up and i was like i'll just sit here for a couple hours and uh that guy come moseying down the trail right by that signpost really? yeah, he scored yeah he grow scored 152 but i called him pretty boy because He's a, he was a young deer. He only weighed 175 dress, and we're pretty sure he was max four, and we think he might have been only three years old, which is... Really? I didn't age him, and I didn't get a tooth. I wish I did, but he just looks like such a young deer with really good genetics, you know? When we first got pictures of him, like, that deer needs another year. Everyone laughs at me. I'm like, that deer needs another year. He's going to be a giant in a couple of years, but... In Maine, I couldn't pass him up. No, <laughs> I was like, "Oh man, 150, you know, 150 inch deer is huge. Pretty, they're around Maine, but there's not a lot of them." No. So uh, yeah, I got got him in 2020, and then last year on the last day of rifle, I tracked another big buck and got him, and he scored 148 and change. Holy growth! Yeah, so I've had a Really nice three-year streak. Uh, yeah, I, I I would say so. Yeah. But yeah, the a lot of it, the rack size is a little bit of luck, but because you never know when you're tracking them. Because the last two I've got tracking, but well, a little hard work, a little luck, and you never know what can happen. Yeah, no, that's 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 just that's incredible and it's funny because that one that you have on the wall behind you and again for anybody that wants to see him go on uh the youtube and watch the the video version of the podcast but that one is a giant rack but when you look at him his mass compared to the one that said that you shot this year it's not even it's not even comparable like it's not i used to i used to think he was a big deer and now i look at the one i'm like oh (laughs) he looks small now i I know he's got such a big frame on him that the one on the wall like just like he like you said he's got the the frame of a just yeah a a mega giant yeah two more years i think (laughs) (laughs) there's there's not there's not an ounce in me that would be able to uh, let let him walk at that point that's just um that's just a a, a incredible deer but yeah it's 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 crazy that 
not crazy, but it's incredible that you've had, you know, the success that you've had those last few years, especially with tracking, you know, when you don't know, because I, I, what I've learned of from talking to people from Maine, and it's kind of similar to the way it is in Pennsylvania, where you can get a really old deer that doesn't have a giant rack size. You know, oh, I mean, yeah. I've, there's, there's a, a buck. I'm going to tilt my computer here a little bit. That one that's on the wall behind me scored 125 inches and he was nine and a half years old. He was 14, yeah. inch, 14 inches wide, just heavy yeah. old deer. And, and he was a little bigger the year before. Um, but he wasn't, he was never, he was never, uh, you know, 150 inch deer. Like that's just some of yeah. them just don't get to that level. No, definitely. No, they, yeah. Every year up here in the Northwoods, they shoot, they shoot some monster deer that are five, six year old deer. And they'd be lucky if they go a hundred inches, you know, they yeah. just, they just don't have the genetics. It's every once in a while, you just get one of these deer that they're almost like genetic, genetic freaks. And just awesome deer. But. There, there's a, there's an area in Pennsylvania. I've, I've told this story before, but I, I'd found, I tried to find the most remote areas and I was like, I'm going to find the biggest deer. That was like my thought. And I went into this area and it was almost four miles to get back to this ridge system. And I found this giant signpost rub. I mean, it was just like year after year getting pounded and I ran camera on it and there was some other scrapes around ran cameras the whole year. And I never ended up actually hunting it, but I went back and pulled all the cameras and the biggest deer I got was probably 105 inches, but he looked like he was so deathly old. Like he had pop cam bases on him, <laughs> but he was just a little rack. And, and what I learned yeah. there was just the food wasn't, there wasn't much for browse or anything. They weren't logging in there. There wasn't really much to, mm -hmm. for them to feed on. And it just, they weren't, they weren't, you know, if there wasn't a mass crop year, they didn't have a whole lot of even browse to, so they, they weren't able to get to the, you know, the antler size and maybe, you know, there's genetics and a whole bunch of other stuff that goes in, involved with that. But it was, uh, it was, it was kind of crazy to me, but when, when so I kind of want to go back to your story. I had some things I had questions on. So when you, when you mm -hmm. are looking for a track and you're like, okay, it was a pretty good track. What, what do you consider a pretty good track that you think is a mature buck? Like, how do you determine that? Yeah. Oh, well, usually up here, you're looking for a track that the toes are at least three inches long and you got two and a half to three inches wide. Okay. And for me, for me, that's usually what we're looking for. We, we have bigger footed deer up here usually anyway. And then you, you'd really like to see the dew claws set right in the snow behind the track too. Mm -hmm. And usually the dew, if it's a big, heavy buck, those dew claws will be wider than the track. Okay. And then you're, yeah. And then you're also, not all big bucks will have big feet though. Like this one I got this year was 218 pound dress. And I didn't really think he had the biggest foot on him. And the buck I shot last year, I didn't think had the biggest foot in the woods either, but you never know. I, a lot of times I feel like, I don't know what it is, but the bigger rat bucks will have the largest feet. I mean, that could be just coincidence, but yeah. Yeah. But anyway, yeah. And then you also want to look at the stagger between the tracks because a really big mature buck, usually, especially if they're heavy, will have a barrel chest and that'll make the width between the tracks. It'll be instead of like a dose and you'll, it'll look like they're one behind another. Yeah. Whereas a buck, a buck, they'll be staggered. Usually they got an eight to a foot between the tracks. And then a really long buck will have a really long stride when he's just walking. Yeah. So like a really, really big long buck will have like a 
two and a half to three foot stride between his tracks. And if you see big, you see it wide and giant stride when he's just walking and then you see those dew claws, you know, it's a, you know, it's a big buck. So that's Uh kind of how we do it. That's, that's, that's interesting. I, uh, I, I'd never thought about the long aspect of it. That's, that's my new goal. I'm not, I'm not going for, I'm looking for a long buck. I'm going to measure, I'm going to measure the body length and that's going to be the new, uh, the heaviest, (laughs) the heaviest bucks I get every year in Maine are the long ones. The longer it is, just the more ability you have to pack on weight. And I know every year they shoot something that go, or not every year, but close to 300 pounds dressed up here and they're always the long one this guy i got this year was actually a short deer uh a lot of people that saw him were like yeah he's got he's only got the length of like 180 pound deer but he was so thick he had the biggest neck of any deer i've ever seen and his shoulders were just massive he was just a big stocky deer but he looked like a you know like a dead weight lift one of those weight lifters yeah a power lifter you know, I, I love the picture that you have of him just laying in the snow that shows his body. Yeah. Like he just oh. looks like a, he look yeah. You say he looks like a power lifter, a tank or a linebacker yeah. or something. Like he just, he, he got like a neck roll on. He just looks, <laughs> he looks yeah. incredible. I just cut up a doe that my uh, father-in-law shot on last Saturday on the last day of our rifle season and putting that little doe's neck next to that buck's neck. It's just, it was unbelievable the difference. Unbelievable. Yeah. And 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 also, okay, so when you're when you're going on tracks, do you do you have any do you pay attention to the wind at all or are you just following the track? Does that matter? No. Nope. No, I never worry about the only I never worry about the wind at all when I'm tracking. The only time I might worry about is if I know he's bedded or if I'm you never know for sure if they're bedded, but if you really think they might be bedded and you have a really strong intuition that that buck's bedded right there and the wind's at your back you might do a loop up around and try to get the wind in your favor and then just kind of still hunt and try to catch them bedded but other than that i never worry about where the wind is blowing i just stay on that track do you find that they move in a, like when you are tracking them, do you find that they move with say the wind in their face or to their back or does it, does it not really seem to matter as much for them? If they, I think a lot of times they travel with the wind at their face. If, if they think nothing's following them because they're sent checking for those. Yep. So they want, they want that wind in their face. But if you jump them one or two times and they, they know you're following them, they'll start running with the wind at their back. So they can smell you behind them. They will do that. So definitely. That makes sense. And and you were also talking in that story that I think is a is an important point is you covered like three miles early in the morning. So you were moving relatively quick on that track, yep. right? And do you yep. like how how do you moderate your speed based on what the track is doing? So what what you want to do really is you want to look at the track and try to age it decide how old, how far behind that deer you are. And so that's the first thing you got to do. And if you believe it's way ahead of you, because the track's frozen, if it's cold out, the track's freezing. If it's warm out, the track's melting. So you got to look at that track and be like, okay, how old is this track? Now I'll tell you how far behind that deer you are. So you almost got to look back at what the weather was all night, the previous night. That's usually when they're making the most tracks is 
during that previous night when you, if you get on them in the morning. So then you're looking at the track and deciding, okay, how far behind this gear I am. So then you start on the track. And when you first start, you got to go a little slow because you never done it before where I got on a track first thing in the morning. It looked pretty old. I started hammering. That buck went 200 yards across the road and laid down. And I ran right headlong into the deer and jumped him up. And then I had a hard day trying to, because the best time to kill a deer is the first time. Because once you jump them two or three times, they get, they know that something's after them and they're way harder to kill then. So you got to figure out how far behind. And so you start slow and you start following it. And most of the time, if they're just making a straight, straight course through the woods and it looks like they got a pretty good gait, you can do the same. You can just hammer right along on them. Pretty much just whatever you a comfortable fast walk, I call it. Like like you were hiking up the trail, you know? Yep. Just just moving right along, keeping your head up. Don't get caught staring at the track. Just keep it in your peripheral. Pay attention to what it's doing, but just go right along on that track with your eyes up scanning. And then if anything changes in that track, if he starts doing something, that's when you gotta slow down. Like if he stops. He takes a hard turn. He starts to feed. That's when you need to slow right down. And you really need to figure out, all right, what's he doing now? Because that's when you got to pay attention. If they start to feed, usually after they feed, they bed down because they got to chew their cut or whatever. Yep. So that's when, if you see them start feeding a lot, usually if they feed a lot, they're going to lay down. And they don't lay down. Usually they don't go very far from where they feed to where they lay down. So that's when you go real slow. You just start scanning every little piece of wood, trying to find them. Just a patch of brown, an antler, anything. Or a lot of times, if they make a hard turn, because they found a doe, they smelt the doe. So you got to slow down for a minute and assess, okay, he made a turn. He's going down into some does. If he gets into a bunch of does, start chasing, you got to stop, look, or make sure they're not right there. Because a lot of times they, they find a doe, the doe might not want to go too far. He'll just chase that doe around in circles for half an hour, you know, 45 minutes. Yeah. They might be right there. So you really got to start paying attention then too. But yeah. Pretty much, yeah. That, that, that makes sense when they get on a doe as far as like spending a lot of time in there. I know from recently getting to hunt West Virginia where I can see a lot more and I'm doing a lot of glassing and, and watching because like when you're in a thick timber, the big woods, you can't really see it unless you, you know, you find mm-hmm. the tracks. But I got to see how much they spend in an area or like they're harassing the doe and the doe will go like hide in a bush or hide in some thick cover and he's harassing her a little bit and then he gets her up and she might run hundred yards mm-hmm. and try to hide again. And like, they do this, you know, thing back yep. and forth, um, in, in, um, uh, a particular area, um, for a while. So that, that makes a lot of sense. But one thing I heard how blood say before and line kind of what, what you're saying there is like, you know, if you, if you spend the whole day, like you're still hunting when you're tracking, you'll never, you'll never catch up to the buck and you'll just, you won't cover very much ground. And, and my dad's taught me that even with still, even with still hunting though, is like trying to move faster, the pri- the low priority areas, you know, some of the open woods and stuff that, you know, they don't think they're going to be bedded down or whatever at, and then, you know, take your time in those, the thickets or whatever else that might, you know, th- that's where you need to, to, 
you know, when you think you're going slow, go slower and, and be looking out ahead and trying to, trying to catch them there. So that, that makes a lot of sense as far as that goes. And, and I, and I do think like, even though like our gun season down here in Pennsylvania and some other places are in December and, you know, one, they do have kind of the secondary rut that they come into, but even if they're not rutting, I think you get some snow. I think the tracking can be a really good a really useful tactic and even later in the season in January um, yeah. maybe they're not going as far you know as far as looking for does but I, I think that it can be such a useful tactic to be able to use well I'm shooting a new bow this year and I am pumped after playing around with a buddy's Hoyt RX-8 the smile on my face made the decision for me the first thing I noticed with the new Hoyts were their extremely smooth draw cycles and the ability to adjust the back wall to make it rock solid like I prefer. I outfitted my own RX-8 with the inline accessories that made installation extremely easy and balanced out the bow. My favorite accessory so far is a simple one. It's the Go Sticks 2.0 adjustable legs to make your bow like a tripod, but it doesn't interfere with any part of the bow or the limbs or anything like that in addition the integrated kickstand within the hbx exact cams protect your string from excess wear when you put your cam into the dirt ground hunting or spot and stock just got easier if you want to experience what i'm talking about head to your nearest hoyt dealer and take a test drive yourself you can learn more at hoyt.com the mobile hunters expo is a consumer-based hunting show unlike any other it provides an interactive learning experience where you can try all things mobile hunting and learn from the best in the business. Come experience an unbiased, community-based environment where you can improve your hunting skills and find the right equipment for your needs. I'll be speaking at the Nor'easter Show in Mannheim, Pennsylvania at Spooky Nook Sports from August 9th to 11th, 2024. So come check it out or either of the other shows in uh, Michigan and Georgia. You can purchase tickets online at the mobilehuntersexpo.com or grab tickets at the door. I'll see you there. Yeah. Yeah. Come late season. It's it's a little harder to find a track because they're not putting on the miles looking for does. But like if you know an area where they're known to hang out late season, you can go in there and find a track. And it's it's actually easier to track them late season because they're tired and they don't want to run. They don't want to run, half, you know, ten miles across the country. They just want to. They're recuperating from the rut. So yep. they're feeding. They're laying down. They're just taking it easy. And yeah, it's a great. It's a great time to track a buck late, early season too, because they're not going too far. Just finding the tracks is the hard part. Yeah, and what? So okay, so if you can't say. Uh you drive the roads and you're not able to find a track, you know, near the roads or anything. How do you put a game plan together to go into an area, um, to find a track? Like, are you, are you heading for a specific area, um, based off sign you've scouted or like how, where, where are you starting to, to actually look for that track? Yeah. Usually it's, usually it's areas I've scouted in the past that I know that they like to use. Um, so that's, that comes the early season when I'm still hunting and in October when I'm finding, looking for doe pockets. If I find a doe pocket somewhere where I know there's a bunch of deer, I'll go, go to that area and try to find a track. And then, so yeah, if I can't find one from the road, usually I'll just, I'll have a spot in mind and I'll just park the truck, do a big loop around a ridge or around a, you know, up a, up a river or up a brook and then back around up a ridge or whatever. And, see what I can find. And then occasionally I'll just pick a spot on a map 
then I think looks pretty good. And then I'll do a big loop up in there because I don't know. I feel like a lot of times the first time you go into a place, you don't have any preconceived notions or anything like that, and you just hunt it a little bit better. Oh, you I know sometimes oh, you definitely do. Oh, you get you get these thoughts in your head like the deer are going to be right here, and so I, I love going into a spot for the first time. It's plus the mystery too that you you might see something that yeah you know you know something crazy. But oh, I yeah. I handicap myself so much when. I know an area so well that yeah. I, I tiptoe through it because I, um, you know, always thinking like, oh, I, you know, or, or I might go past an area that normally, you know, if it was a new area, I might hunt a little differently. And, you know, cause like, oh, I never saw a deer in here before. I don't have any pictures or I never found much sign. And, and, and it, it I, I don't know, I hunt areas better for the first time <clears> than I do if, if I have a lot of, well, especially when I'm, you know, hunting on the ground or doing, you know, that, that kind of style. And, and that's why, like for me during gun season, when I still have a tag, cause we're a one buck state too. So if I still have a tag in gun season, I really like going to areas that I don't typically hunt in archery just because it's, I, I just hunt it differently. Like the couple of bucks that I've, I've shot in gun season over the last six years have been like just running ridges and, and, and moving. And, and a lot of times too, is like, I know in NPA, like the, the deer will go down in the Creek bottoms at night and, I'm not sure what the, exactly how the train looks where you're at, but you know, even in areas that have, that don't have, you know, giant hills or mountains or anything, but they'll go down those creek bottoms and feed in some of those grasses and stuff at night and then go back mm-hmm. up into the, the hills, you know, in the morning to bed. But if you run those creek bottoms in the snow, you can find those tracks and kind of follow them back up to, to where it, it's just a good place to be able to find a track, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Our trains, our trains pretty similar. Usually, a lot of times the deer like to bed on these ridges. We don't have, we do have some pretty big mountains in Maine. They're not, nothing huge, but our average mountain around here is, you know, 2,000, 2,000 feet, 2,500 feet, the average hill. We we have some 4,000 footers, but most of the time it's just roll, a lot of rolling hills and mountains. Yep. But uh, yeah, they like to bed on those hills and go down, like you said, in the night feed. A lot of our feeding, is, it's based on the logging. There's so much cutting around here with the clear cut and all that, that it's, that's like their ag up, up here. So I spend a lot of time hunting around those cuts and I like to walk up the edges of those cuts. A lot of times you'll get, they'll cut the side of a mountain and, uh, they'll cut the hardwood off the lower section of the mountain. And then at the top, there'll be softwood. And those deer love to bed three quarters up on those hills in the softwood and then come down at night and feed in those cuts. Yep. And, uh, they're, they can be awful to walk through, but I like to go up the edge where they stop cutting because they'll have on the edge, there'll be some big woods still. Travel up those edges. The bucks love to run those edges too. Yep. And uh, you just go up those edges to where you get up into the soft woods and then you can kind of hunt along the hunt along the top. But yeah, yeah and, those are good spots. And we, um, so like, uh, you know, a lot of the areas that I hunt and stuff are, 
they, they do a lot of cutting too. And, and, and also the luckily being local, I know a lot of a lot, there's a huge logging community. So I know a lot of loggers and I'll talk to them too, as far as where they're cutting yeah. at. And, you know, like, especially when it comes like later in the year and it's getting colder and there's snow on the ground, they're like, by the time they, they shunt, shut their equipment off, you know, they have deer feeding already on the tops oh, yeah. and everything. So <laughs> it's like, I, yeah. I had information on that the one year I didn't, I didn't know this logger specifically but i was going in there scouting on it was thanksgiving morning actually and our season was opening in a couple days and and um i was driving along and i ran into a logger coming out and he's i'm like what are you seeing for deer he's like oh they're he goes i don't even have my equipment off yet and they're coming in he goes there's a nice buck in here and i happened to drive down the road and i saw him and it was middle of the day he was out there feeding uh, yep. with some does and i was like okay and i came in and ended up, <laughs> i ended up missing that buck uh uh the first day of, oh. of gun season but it was it was just like that those logging cuts just are oh yeah, they, yeah. they are people One. magnets too but they you know that yep. but when you have a bunch of them it, and you, yeah. you're you're willing to you know check a whole bunch a lot of them you can you can find them yeah they're definitely people like to hunt them but there's so many up here that and our, we really don't have that much hunting pressure. We have some hunting pressure, but nothing like down where you are. Yeah. I mean, we're just business, not that many people up here. We have a lot of out-of-staters that come to hunt Maine, especially especially the Vermonters. They'll get a kick out of that if they listen to this. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they love, they love to come to Maine. They don't cut enough wood in Vermont or something, so they all, they all come to Maine to chase deer. But, yeah, well, I think that's one of the reasons. That's one of the reasons we get a lot of big deer in Maine, though. Is because of all the cutting. Without that cutting, there there just wouldn't be much for feed up up there, and to help them grow these racks. Yeah, I I agree, and 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 I I've said it before, but like one when I was talking about that area that I went to that was really remote, but didn't have like big antler deer. It was it was there's no there was no logging there, and it was like one I the correlation I found is areas that have a lot of logging have bigger deer. It's just, they have the yeah. feed year round, you know, they have the brows, they have the tops when they're younger, they have the briars, they have everything that's in there. That's just, it, uh, has everything that the deer need. And, yeah. uh, just, it, it makes a, it makes a whole lot of sense, but it's funny you say that about Vermont, because when I was doing uh deer research for Spartan forage, I was looking at Vermont and I was like, man, there's, not a when I'm looking at the the data, I was like, there's not a whole lot that makes me want to have put Vermont on the list of places I want to go to. <laughs> yeah, I don't, for some re- for some reason they there's some good deer there, but for some reason they just don't they don't grow the same way they do in like New Hampshire and Maine and yeah. Massachusetts, and I think it has to do a lot with the and the environment there. They just I don't know what it is exactly, but yeah, they don't grow the same class of bucks that the states all around them do. do but there's some ser- but there's some awesome hunters from Vermont. That Benoit tradition is strong there. They they come up to Maine and they shoot some great bucks and all the locals. <laughs> yeah. We chuck we chuckle about it. The green plates invade Maine every year, but <laughs> yeah. That is that is funny. There's um yeah. So, so, uh, what about like when you do have the out of staters come up and stuff like that, that the paper company property and stuff, is that open to public hunting or do you need like permission to hunt that? No, most, a lot of it's open, just, just open to general use. We do have an area in Maine called the North Maine woods, which is, uh, they do have a day use fee up there and a camping fee. Uh, I think it runs, I haven't been up there in a few years, 
let him a little bit further. I shouldn't give away my secret. Yeah, don't, 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 don't. I had a little else. further. I had a little further south than the North Spaniards because I think you get a better class of bucks. Not always. The heaviest bucks are shot up north, usually in the North Main Woods. But uh, for antler growth, I like to hunt a little further south. But uh, yeah, I think, pretty sure it runs into November. They still have a day use. It's it's pretty cheap, though. Yeah, that, that's that's because, I mean, I know in Pennsylvania we have that a lot. Like, we have a lot of land. We have a lot of public land that's your traditional national forest, state forest, state game lands. But we also have a lot of timber company properties, paper company property, all that stuff that's that's just open to public hunting, but yep. you know, not not as many people know about it. If if you're not local or don't, mm-hmm. you know, understand. I mean, if you go drive up to the gates, they'll have signs that say, you know, open to public hunting or whatever. But uh, yeah, um, I, I was wondering how that that worked up there. And is there is there many guide services? Like I know Hal has you know the guide service up there and and yeah, stuff. There's, there's a few. Um, I think it's getting more more popular um i just became a registered main guide just this year so i'm gonna be looking to do it in the future here nice it's hard right now because i love to hunt so much i really don't want to give them and i have two young kids i have a one-year-old and a four-year-old so it's kind of tough to leave and go up there all for a whole month in november and guide and then want to hunt on my own and all that but i think in the future i'm gonna i want to do some guiding and uh I actually, I don't know what kind of interest is going to be, but I kind of want to do like a, if guys that want to come up DIY, I'd like to set up, like get a wall tent set up for them, get it all set up with wood stove and wood. And so all they got to do, I'll have it all pre-scouted. They come up, they hunt, they got a place to stay. They can do it themselves. I'll point them in their own direct, I'll point them in some good spots, but if they don't want a fully guided hunt, that they can just come up and uh, stay in a wall tent. Yeah, almost like a semi-guided drop drop yeah. camp style, like you see out yeah. west. Yeah, no, that's yeah. yeah, that would be a that'd be a cool option as far, especially for people like you know, say someone coming from Pennsylvania and or Vermont, and uh, yep. you don't get the time to get up there and scout yourself or whatever, but you still want to have exactly. that experience. It can help you if you have five days off of work or whatever to yep. to to be yeah. able to do that. Yeah, because it can take. A lot of guys that come up here for a week and it's hard in a week, especially with no snow. If there's no snow and you only have a week, a lot of times it can take two, three, four days to find where the deer, find a good pocket of deer, and then you can start hunting. But with snow, it's a little easier because you can just go look for that track and then follow it. But yeah, yeah, a little scouting helps a lot. Oh yeah, no. (laughs) Yeah. It makes the world a difference. You know, I mean, I've always said I'm lucky that, that I've been able to grow up in an area of big woods that I can go, I, you know, would always scout after work or weekends mm-hmm. or whatever. Like I was always scouting and still I'm always scouting. So it's like, I, I can't imagine trying to, to go up just, you know, blind and, and trying to figure yeah. it out in a short amount of time. It can be done. It's just, it's just harder. Yep. You gotta, you gotta spend more days scouting than you do actually hunting at that point. Yep. I know. I keep telling my wife, I want to move, but, <laughs> I, we like where we live now it's only about two to three it depends where i hunt but two to three hours to drive up to the big woods so it's not too bad and do you get uh, some more flexibility as far as with being a logger um with being yep. able to hunt yeah we actually like i said my my family's we're all crazy about deer hunting so we all take we all take time off from work come november we rotation we call it yeah yeah we all go hunting 
Yeah, my brother and my father have both shot some awesome bucks too. They're more of a stand hunters. Yep. Yeah, but they love it. Yeah, they love it too. Oh no, that's that's awesome. I. Uh, I I don't know I I I was talking um, a buddy of mine that lives in New Hampshire, Brett Joy, and and he does a little bit of a mixture of stand hunting in November, but yep. he also likes oh, yeah. to track too, and uh, and he's been inviting me to come up and and do it, and I I just I need to I just need to make it happen, but it's it's yeah. on a it's on a uh, the top of a long list of places I want to go, but it's, yeah. it's it's up there as far yeah, as uh, definitely... needing to make it happen. Yeah, you definitely should. Yeah, I follow Brad. Yeah, he's a he's a great hunter. Yeah, uh, yeah. He just had a, just did his week annual week long sit in New Hampshire. He had a hard one this year, but he usually does pretty good. Yeah, I don't know how he does. I don't know how he does those seven day all seven in a row all day sits, but. I, I love and uh so brett and i always he always texts me back and forth during like these time periods and like i loved seeing his stories this year on instagram where it was like you know day yeah. six this many hours long one deer it's like not yeah. many people can do that and and it, it no. pays off for him um he, oh, yeah. he always he always pulls through and it's just it's hard <laughs> it is hard but you get you get in those areas and they're good it's just a matter of time before a big buck rolls through there. It's just sometimes the timing is just a little bit off, but it, but you don't know it's what's, what's what's neat about deer hunting though is that you can kind of play into your strengths and what you like to do. Like for you, you don't like to sit and you like to 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 walk, so mm-hmm. you're able to do that and stay on that pattern where there's people that like to sit and like to to do that. Like I kind of I kind of have a mixture. I can sit a while when I need to, and I will sit a week mm-hmm. straight if I have to, but then it comes down to like a certain point in the season. I'm just like, I just want to, <laughs> I want to do something else. I want to move, you know, I want to, yeah. I want to, uh, still hunt yeah. or, or do that. So it's, it's, it's kind of cool. I'm, I'm looking yeah. forward to, um, um, I'm saving one of my doe tags for our late flintlock season. So hopefully we have some snow and I've always wanted to kill one with a flintlock muzzle mm. and, uh, I, I want to, I'd love to do it tracking even with a doe, like just, it'd be fun to, oh, yeah. to, to be able to, to do that and just different than, you know, the traditional archery hunting that I, that I do a lot of. So, yeah, even, even tracking a doe, you you'd learn so much about tracking, how to age the track and when they're going to lay, when they're getting ready to lay down and all that, you pick, you pick up on it pretty quick. I bet. You know, and, and, and I've said this a lot, but I think people that track deer are some of the best woodsmen that, that I've ever met because you have to pick up on so many things. Like you have to, you know, we were talking about it earlier. It's not easy to look at a track and determine how old it is or determine how fast it's going or determine how big it is or, or determine when they're about to lay down. And there's, you're always kind of got to be analyzing these things. And, you know, as you get more experience, your gut helps you make a little bit of those decisions, but it's not, it's not simple to, to be able to do at all. Yeah, no, definitely. Tracking a buck teaches you. So it's like the most, the best scouting tool you could ever imagine too, because, they show you every little nook and cranny of their territory and they'll show you where they cross the brook and they'll show you where they walk up the mountain. And yeah, it's crazy. Yeah. I wish there was snow. all. wish there was snow all the time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my, well, kind of. Only yeah, hunters, so. only hunters say yeah. that. Nobody else says that. <laughs> Actually, no, 
Once hunting season's over, it can go away. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm the same way. I was like, yeah, I was like, after yeah. like the first week of January or so, I'm okay. Yeah, the snow would fine. just disappear. That would be yeah. That would be fine. nice. Then I can get out and start looking for shed antlers and scouting again. Uh, but I'm always our snow like seems to just. <laughs> last longer every year like this year we still had some on the ground in april i'm like but there's shed antlers out there i'm trying to get out and look mm-hmm. for them and uh and trying to find scrapes and all this stuff and the snow is really putting a damper on that <laughs> oh yeah yeah usually up usually up north around here it lasts till the end of april sometimes really? into may yeah it's brutal it's a uh, long long it's a long cold winter but <laughs> yeah it makes us enjoy the makes us enjoy the good weather that much more i guess yeah, no, definitely. Yep. And it it seems like that you guys just have just beautiful country up that way. I mean, I've I've never spent any time really up in the northeast, which is so crazy to me because it's really not that far away. Um, nope. but it's just it just seems like such a beautiful area. Yeah, like I, I haven't done a whole lot of traveling, I mean, but I just love Maine. Yeah. Probably why I haven't that's why I probably haven't done much traveling cuz everything I've ever wanted, I guess, is right here, so but yeah, that's I love awesome. it. I love it. Well, cool. I, I appreciate you coming on and, and telling your story a little bit and, and talking just about just tracking and, and deer behavior. Like I, I just, I don't know. I think that's so invaluable and that's why I was like, um, and I actually had you, even before you shot this buck, I had your name written down on a, uh, thing oh, yeah. talking to you before I wanted to, to get yeah. you on and talk. And, and then, uh, when you sent me that, that picture i was like man i need to and the story i was like I, I need to get just make it happen and get you on so i was i was excited to to be able to do that awesome awesome thanks yeah no i love love the podcast i like following what you do glad you had me on yeah appreciate Good. that is, is there any place that you would like to send anybody to to follow along and check out some of your pictures and all that stuff yeah pretty much all my hunting stuff is on my Instagram. Uh, I'm on Instagram, Jim Bob Grady. Pretty easy. Yep. 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 And I'll, I'll have links in the in the show notes and then then the stuff on Instagram there, so people will be able to find that. And uh, uh, there was something else. Oh, and and then uh, once your once your guiding service is up and running, that's probably where they can find that information as well. Yeah, yeah. Like I'm I'm a newbie at that. I just got registered. Uh, trying to get all that figured out but if, if if anyone's interested in anything i talked about just hit me up on instagram i don't have a website or anything like that yet but you can message anyone can message me on instagram about anything i'm open book too so if anyone wants to ask questions about maine or tracking or whatever i'm open book awesome again yep. thank you so much for coming on man and uh yeah uh, enjoy, enjoy the snow. Enjoy if you get back out deer hunting anymore. Okay, and, do. Uh, I'll talk to you later. All right. Thanks, Bob. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of East Meets West Hunt with your host, Bo Martonic. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit eastmeetswesthunt.com, Facebook at East Meets West Outdoors, and Instagram at East Meets West Hunt. If you enjoyed today's episode, please review and subscribe, and we'll catch you next time.